Let's turn this morning to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. We want to read God's Word under the heading this morning, Grace Greater Than Adam's Sin. Grace Greater Than Adam's Sin from Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Let's give our attention now to the reading of God's Word. Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abound for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here ends the reading of God's Word this morning. My most dear friends, I trust that many of us have had the experience of taking apart a toy, taking apart a car engine, or maybe even taking apart a computer, and then trying to put it back together. Was it easier to take it apart or to put it back together? See, a principle uh, us young boys often learn early in life, I don't know about young girls, but I assume it's probably true as well, The principle we learn is that the power to fix something is greater than the power to destroy. It's easier to make a mess than it is to clean up a mess. Right, mom and dad? It's easier to crash the car than to get it fixed. It's easier to quit a job than to find a new one. Easier to shatter a mirror than to put it back together. Easier to burn down a building than to rebuild a building. The greater power is in the fixing. In the restoring. In the rebuilding. 
And we live in a broken world. A world where we as sinful humans are quick to make a mess. Things are quickly broken. So much so that we look at the world in which we live and we say, is there anything great enough? Is there anything powerful enough to fix the mess that we find ourselves in? And Romans 5 is about two people. The two most influential people in humanity. Adam and Jesus Christ. And Romans 5 says they both have power. And the point is this. You are either in Adam, in His power, or you are in Christ, in His power. You see, Adam, he represents humanity as it presently exists in its sin, in its brokenness, in its rebellion. And Jesus represents humanity in the church, in its being fixed, in its restoration, in the resurrection. And what Paul is doing is he's actually summarizing our whole human history here. That God created a perfect world with perfect people. And due to man's sin, there was brokenness. That's the background. But I love what Herman Bovink says about Romans 5. He says, it may be the background, but it's not the foreground of this passage. The foreground of this passage is that there is something greater than the power of sin. There is something more powerful than death. What's more powerful than Adam's fall is the superabounding, overwhelming, immeasurable grace of Jesus Christ. This is more powerful than Adam's sin. And is this not a message that we need in 2023? We feel the power and all-controlling might of sin in our lives. When we stand beside the grave, we feel the power of sin. When a habitual sin that we know we need to deal with trips us up again, we feel the power of sin. Think about it in our society. We see the power of sin with the prevalence of abortion. The power of sin in the LGBTQ agenda and the so-called Pride Month. And we think, is there anything strong enough to fix this mess? Here's Paul's point. Sin is mighty and powerful. But God's grace is far superior in riches and abundance. Christ's work of redemption is so much greater than Adam's corruption. I want to show you this 
in two points this morning. We want to see the power of Adam's death and also the power of Christ's grace. The power of Adam's death and the power of Christ's grace. So we look, beginning in verse 12, at the power of Adam's death. Again, Romans 5 is about two people. You have to grasp this. And they are the two most important people in, the, in human history, I should say. Adam, verse 12, is identified as the one man. And Jesus, if you jump to verse 15, is identified as this second Adam, the second man, the one man, Jesus Christ. That's verse 15. Adam is the head of humanity. Jesus is the head of the church. Now what does it mean when we say that somebody is the head of something? Think of husbands and fathers being the head of their household. Or our elected representatives being a head of state. What does it mean when somebody is the head of something? Well, historically, the Reformed have referred to this as something called federalism. Or covenantalism. And it's a technical word, but it really just means they represent you. That Adam represented us. That Jesus represents us. They're not just one man in a long line of human history, but they especially stand before God on our behalf. We're going to go out of order, but look at verse 14. It says, death reigned from Adam and Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. But I want you to notice this last phrase. Who was a type of the one who was to come? Meaning that Adam represented us before God. Just like Jesus represents us before God. And this isn't that foreign of a concept. We use this terminology in our day and age. Think about it, boys and girls who are here this morning. If your parents go to the principal's office and they decide, we're going to put you in the grade ahead or hold you back a year, do you have much say in the matter? Your parents represent you and they act on your behalf. The same as well as I mentioned for adults, when an official elected representative represents us and acts on our behalf. That's what they're saying of Adam. He represented us. He stood in our place, if you will, in the Garden of Eden. So when it says that Adam was a type, he acted on our behalf. This is bad news. Because Adam failed. In fact, Paul throughout this short passage refers to Adam's sin as the one trespass. Well, what is the one trespass? I want you to just scan with me through these passages and notice how many times it talks about death. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through the one man and death spread through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Jump to verse 14. Death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam 
For many died, verse 15, through the one man's trespass. What we're seeing is death, death, death being brought up. He, being our representative, is the bad news for us. He died. Now sometimes, people will jokingly say, after they come in from a long day of working with weeds in the garden, thanks a lot, Adam, because he was cursed, and the ground was cursed. Or, I remember my wife and I saying when our children were born, thanks a lot, Eve. And sometimes we can think of Adam as somebody who is weak, wimpy. He was a bad representative. But what Paul is doing in verse 12 is he wants us to think back to Genesis chapter 1. Therefore, just as sin came into the world, but what kind of world did sin come into? The Bible tells us in Genesis 1 and 2 that God created the world. Remember? The land, the sea, the sky, the fish, the birds, the light. And what does he say about his creation? It was very good. It was godly. It was perfect. Including Adam. Congregation, you need to see this about our representative, Adam. He was the best of us. Of all human beings, save Jesus Christ, Adam and Eve are the best human beings who have ever walked on the face of the earth. Created holy, the Bible tells us. Free from the stain of sin. Always loving the Lord their God with their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Always putting their neighbor first. Never once being selfish until that first sin. They didn't, when God gave us Adam as our representative, He did not give us a weak, wimpy, poor representative. He gave us the strongest among us. The one of best moral character. The one of the greatest character among men. And what he presented to this representative is called the commandment of life. You remember this in the book of Genesis that God said to Adam that he could have all of the fruit of the trees in the Garden of Eden, but he could not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what he's really doing is setting before him life. That he could have perfect Harmony with God and with Eve and with creation. No sin. No evil. No death. But oh, how the strong come crashing down. He took the fruit at the instigation of the devil. And Paul says it's through him that sin came into the world. Commandment of life, the lie of the devil, and he chose the lie. 
This is the moment in human history when our hope was shattered. The engine is pulled apart, right? The mess is made when man bought the lie of Satan and sinned. Now, I asked you to notice with me how many times Paul speaks of death in this passage, quite a bit. And we need to give special attention to the second half of verse 12. Um, I found out in my studies this week that Romans 5 verse 12 was one of the most debated passages in the whole book of Romans. So you wouldn't believe the amount of reading I had to do this week. But what does it mean when Paul says, all have sinned in verse 12? Well, historically, there's been a group of people in the Christian church that were called the Pelagians. And the Pelagians taught that we are sinners, not because of our nature, but that we're inherently good, but we sin because when we see our parents sin, we follow their example. Okay? They talk about man as an island unto himself, born into a sinful world, pure. And when he makes a choice to sin, then he's reckoned a sinner. Now, no one disputes that our children follow our bad examples. Proverbs teaches the children's teeth are cut on sour grapes. But the Greek here is actually referring to a past action. It's in what we call the aorist tense. Paul is saying here that the whole human race sinned in one big action. That's when we were reckoned guilty. One single past event. And now you might be saying this morning, well, which event was that? Because I think I missed it. I feel like I would remember sinning with all humanity. What Paul is referring to is Adam's sin. That when Adam sinned, we sinned with him. A rhyme I try to teach my catechism students, maybe you taught your children, in Adam's fall sinned we all. That Adam, because he is our head, he is our representative, he is our type, when Adam failed, we failed. God counted His failure as our failure. Just like how maybe in a soccer match, there's a free kick in the last few seconds and the goalie goes the wrong way and the ball soars into the net. The goalie failed, but the whole team loses. Or a lawyer who presents his case to the court and he is not awarded the victory. The lawyer doesn't just fail, but the person he represents fails. When Adam failed the test in the Garden of Eden, Paul says, we all sinned with him. That we have his nature now. This is best revealed when 
parents have a little child and they're so cute and they're so adorable and you think, this will never turn against me. I love it so much. And then in a moment, they fly into a huge temper tantrum. Or how parents know this as well. How mama and dada are very quickly followed by no. Mine. The problem with the human race is not that we do sins, but that in our very heart we are sinners. That we have a mysterious connection with our first representative. Adam in the Garden of Eden. Look through these verses with me where Paul is hammering this point that Adam's sin is our sin. Verse 15, by the trespass of the one, many died. Verse 16, judgment was from one unto condemnation. Verse 17, by the trespass of the one, death reigned. Verse 18, through one trespass, judgment came unto condemnation. You see what Paul is saying here. That in Adam's sin, all these bad things came to us. Death, judgment and condemnation, death reigned, we will die in the trespass. You see what Paul's saying? If you're in the one man, Adam, you are held under the twin powers of sin and death. Now this isn't a Father's Day message, but it is Father's Day. But where is Eve in this section? Isn't she the one first who transgressed the commandment of life and tempted her husband to also transgress that commandment? Why does Paul only refer to Adam? Well, there's implication here for dads and husbands that God gives us a special responsibility to stand before Him, to represent our families, and that the choices we make do not only influence ourselves or our wives, but also influence our children. Paul says, because we are all of the stock of Adam, we all sinned and are dead spiritually. Now, remember that the church to which Paul is writing, the church of Rome, was comprised of many Jewish people. And so Paul, in verses 13 and 14, he fields a possible question. Maybe somebody would ask, but wasn't there no sin between Adam and Moses? Because Adam had the law, right? Don't eat of this tree. And then Moses gave us the Ten Commandments. But in between Adam and Moses, there was no law. Right? So was there sin if there was no law? But Paul says, yes, there was sin. And the example he gives is because death reigned. Meaning it was in control. Death was lord over those people. Even though they didn't have the written, express law of God, they still received the punishment for breaking the law of God. 
you flip to Genesis chapter 5. We call this sometimes the roll call of death. It's one of the first genealogies of the Bible. And it says, Adam lived so and so years, and then he died. Then the next character, so and so years, then he died. Then he died. Then he died. Then he died. They received the punishment of sin. Death. Because the law of God is written on our hearts, Paul says in Romans 1 and 2. Every time we see death, we are reminded that it is a punishment for for sins. And even if we had never heard the law of God, even if we had never grew up on an island and never come into contact with God's law, Paul says it's on your heart. And everyone who dies is a sinner. Even those who didn't have the Ten Commandments. So you see that we have a spiritual death in Adam as our head, and that we also have a physical death. And it's universal. Spiritual and physical death runs throughout the world. So we see then that Adam has made quite a mess, hasn't he? We live in a world where sin and death reign. It's a broken world. We live in a world that preaches peace and tolerance, but offers no peace or tolerance. This is a world of separation from God. And the whole human race is in Adam. But praise be to God this morning. For as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, there is a second Adam. A second head. Willing to represent. Willing to do everything he needs for a second group of people whose grace is greater than Adam's sin. Let's look then at our second point this morning. The power of Christ's grace. You see, if we were just to stop at verse 14, we would be bereft of all hope. But the Apostle Paul reminds us that their Adam was just a type of the one who is to come. Adam is just a, a pattern. He's just a prefiguring of the representative to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says that the free gift that Jesus brings is not like the trespass that brought death. Because Jesus as your representative, He is better. This is the hope of Paul's Gospel. That if disobedience is given to you in Adam, then the free gift of grace can be given to you in Christ. Paul says it's not like the trespass. The free gift isn't like the trespass. Because the work of Christ is greater. What Christ brings is better than sin. It's better than judgment. It's better than condemnation. It is better than Adam. He shows us that Jesus is better. In three different ways. 
Notice the first thing that Paul says is that Jesus has a better motivation. The heart behind the deed is different. In verse 15, Paul says that Adam's deed is a trespass. A trespass is a conscience sin. That Adam was selfish. It was an act of self-aggrandizement. But Jesus gives, look at this, a free gift. It's a selfless gift. Free of no self-interest of His own. And it produces better results. Verse 16. The first thing is motivation. The second is results. Verse 16, And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. Adam's condemnation brings death, but the result is that Jesus' justification brings life. It brings justification so that we can stand before God and His verdict is not guilty or innocent, but guilty or righteous. That in Christ, God's judicial verdict is justified. But not only that, not only is it greater in motivation, not only is it greater in results, but it's greater in power. Paul emphasizes that it was the one man's trespass. Look at verse 18. It is one trespass. How many sins did it take to condemn the world? How many sins did it take to give us spiritual death and to give us universal physical death? Paul says one sin and one man brought down the whole world. But in justification, Christ doesn't just deal with the one, but He takes care of all of our sins. He removes from us Adam's curse and all of our personal sins says the Apostle Paul. What's more powerful? The ability to make a mess? Or the ability to clean up a mess? To burn down the house or to build the house? Paul is saying that Christ has something more powerful than what Adam brings. And what Adam brings is powerful. There is power there. It condemns the whole world. But how much more the incredible power of grace removes the stain of sin. Sufficient even to redeem this whole created world. Verse 17, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man much more. The abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Look at this. Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Sin brings death. Death is your Lord. But grace, but the grace of Jesus and His righteousness overcome death, says Paul. Spiritual. Spiritual death. 
We think of death as the most powerful force in this world. We think of death as the most powerful thing in this world. There's only two things you can't avoid in life, right? Death and taxes. Paul says, in fact, he's at great pains to show you Christ's work is more powerful. Verse 15, how much more? Verse 17, how much more? Christ can completely overwhelm, wholly cover, undo the effects of Adam's fall. Do you know what this means, beloved? There is no one too far gone. No one too spiritually dead. No sin that pushes you over the edge save the sin against the Holy Spirit which is denying Christ. That in Jesus, He is able to save from any sin. And people say to me from time to time, Pastor, my sin is too much. Will God ever forgive me? Once a woman said to me, she was in her 80s, she said, I've been dealing with this for years. Will God ever forgive me? Because when I was younger, when I was younger, I was angry with Him and I threw a Bible into a furnace. Will God forgive me? Will God forgive me? If I've messed up and broken my family, will God forgive me? If I've spited Him for years and years, can God forgive me? If I'm an addict, hear Paul's words, the free gift is not like the trespass. Justice gives you what you deserve. Grace gives you what you don't deserve. The free gift is His grace. His grace to give you Jesus' righteousness and to take your sins from you. Justification before God is an act of grace and His grace is greater than our sin. His grace overflows. His grace abounds. His grace gives 10, 100, 1,000, infinity more favor than we deserve. And since it's free, it means it's of no work of your own. That God graciously gives you the obedience of Jesus. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many were made righteous. I don't think Paul's using that term obedience without meaning. Remember, it was Adam, Adam's disobedience in the garden. That killed us. He was told, if you obey, I will bless you. And he disobeyed. But the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, was told, if you obey me, you will face agony. 
The complete opposite. But He chose obedience that He could give you the gift of His righteousness. He would save your soul from spiritual death, my friends. You see, the law brings death in Adam. When Adamites stand before the law, it cuts us in half. But look at what the law brings in Jesus. Now the law came to increase the trespass where sin sin increased. Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness. Leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That when we stand before the law and we fall on our knees and we say, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And they cry out to Jesus for mercy. Grace abounds. It overflows. It overwhelms. He gives us new life. You see what Paul is saying? Jesus reverses the curse of spiritual death. Do you know that this morning? You're still in the flesh. You still have to do war with the flesh. But your nature has changed. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus the Lord. You don't belong to Adam. You belong to Christ. Final comment here before we conclude. It's not in Romans 5. It's in Romans 6. So we'll get there in just a few moments. But not only does Jesus reverse our spiritual death, but we are told that one day He will reverse our spiritual death. Or our physical death, excuse me. He will reverse our physical death. Adam's trespass brought spiritual and physical death. But when Jesus went to the cross, He went not only to redeem our bodies, but also our souls. We can go to the graveside with comfort, knowing that when we have union with Jesus Christ by faith, that we will also have union with Jesus Christ in His resurrection. Jesus doesn't only take care of some of the curse, 90% of the curse, He takes care of all of the curse at the cross. So I have a question that I'd like to conclude with this morning. Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? This is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of justification and condemnation. It is a matter of heaven and hell. Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? You see, until we are united with Jesus by faith, everything that is true of Adam is true of us. But when we are united by Christ, to Christ by faith, everything that's true of Jesus becomes true of us. Redeemed, pure, holy, loved. So as powerful and destructive as Adam's first sin is, Christ's obedience and righteousness are more powerful. 
Christ's faithful obedience has the power to overcome all the sin that we see in this world and we see in our hearts. Our greatest foe is sin and death. And He stood before the greatest foe, which took out our greatest man, Adam. But Jesus conquered our most powerful enemy by going to the cross, by dying for sinners such as us, and pouring out His grace into our hearts. Are you in Adam this morning? Are you in Christ? I pray that you would receive this word of salvation, that Christ's grace is greater than sin. Come, come, and embrace Him and become part of Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, we give You thanks for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by His love, His mercy, and His grace came to earth to be that second Adam who by His power overwhelms sin. Who by His grace, which is far superior than any sins that we commit, that He has redeemed us from sin and death and hell. Thank You, Lord, for this second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank You for His cross, His sacrifice. And now we pray, Lord, that, this, that His grace would be ours, that we would apply it to our lives every moment of every day. And we pray that we would embrace Him with true faith and a believing heart. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.